What's up, guys? I am literally about to jump out of my seat. So excited to introduce you to one of the coolest dudes I know, Phil Nottingham. Here's why I fell in love with Phil and why I think you guys will too. His sole mission in life isn't to create the best videos you've ever seen, but to create the best kind of attention around your business using video. And with that... It is 10 a.m. What time is it there? Uh, 4 p.m. For me, I'm in London at the moment. <laughs> I love your accent. I'm so excited to be talking to you right now. <laughs> oh, thanks. I, yeah, I made it myself. I made it myself. <laughs> I can tell that isn't the first time someone's told you I love your accent. It is a common weird thing in the U.S. that it's the only country in the world that likes British people, I think. I think it's probably to do with wars and winning them historically or whatever. But um, yeah, every other country hears you're British and hates it. But America, it's quite a nice, um, nice change. So, do British people ever talk about American accents? Is it ever like, oh, those American? Like, is it they're kind of cool? They're kind of weird? Is there any universal? It's, it's kind of a mixture, I think. Like we, oh, I think we all love the Southern accent, like the Carolinas and Louisiana, and so, oh, it's brilliant. It's the best. <laughs> But the um, yeah. that is just really sexy. But the uh, uh, like kind of Midwest sort of thing, we, we're not very keen on oh. the sort of generic US one. Well, so I'm super excited to have you on today. Um, I figure we could start with who you are because our audience may or may not know the amazing Phil Nottingham and Wistia. So we'll get to Wistia in a sec. But tell me a little bit about you. Tell me about your. Uh, you know, how you got into video and uh, and who you are and what sure. you're doing. Uh, all right, lovely. I will kick us off. Um, so I, uh, what have I done? I My name's Phil, hello. And I have been working, I think, in the video, um, film and video and, and marketing space for about sort of 10 years now. Um, I've actually, my, my original background is in theatre and, and film. So I, I trained as a creative in London and went to drama school and, you know, pranced around a room for, for several years and, and then was working um, mostly in kind of lighting, sound, um, you know, the, kind of the hardcore, robust technologies of theatre. Um, I then ended up kind of getting a job as a, as a stuntman. So I was like a, uh, a sword fighter for films and theatre for a while. Oh um, so I was doing that and then kind of ran out of money and <laughs> got a job doing sort of admin um, for this company that did technology behind um, satellite television. And and there I kind of learned the trade of, you know, real hardcore um, technical video encoding and turning things from that stream in the camera to something that would then go up to a satellite and be beamed down to your TV. Um, technology, of course, that was made entirely redundant a couple of years later when everybody started streaming everything. So um, it was uh, an interesting education into the really kind of weird back end of video, I suppose. Um, then after that, I ended up working for a uh, for a marketing company, um, kind of doing search engine optimization. And given that I kind of accidentally fallen into three different careers in a relatively short period of time, I suddenly realized that there was a lot of synergy between my knowledge of the the creative part of, of filmmaking, of the 
technical part of delivering it to televisions and screens. And then, of course, the the marketing aspect of how you get people to watch it and and measurement and all that kind of thing. So I realized I was in a bit of a unique position purely by accident and, and ended up sort of uh, taking those selections of knowledges and turning them into a quite deep expertise in um, in video marketing and the use of video in business. So I've been kind of working in that space now for um, about five years specifically as kind of an expert um, where I'll go around and talk and, and consult with companies and um, particularly uh, over the last few years, I've been working with Wistia, um, who's a software company out of uh, Boston, Massachusetts, and, and really been working on the kind of marketing and product strategy side with them and um, and helping them kind of launch a few new products. So, yeah, that's been my sort of um, kind of existence professionally to date, I suppose. And, and yeah, stuff's all, all gum, uh, guns are blazing at Wistia. We've, we've just sort of uh, bought out the two founders, Chris and Brendan, just bought out their investors, and we've been working quite hard to um, refocus the business towards a kind of a long-term profitable strategy where we are um, basically going building tools for the long term. So we've been working on, uh, uh, essentially, we've got two products now with a third kind of on the way. And the, the two products are uh, the video marketing software that really helps companies um, deliver video on their website and um, measure better uh, kind of engagement and um, allow more kind of actions and things than you would get with YouTube or Vimeo or whatever. Um, and then Soapbox, which is a, a tool that is a, a video creation app that allows you to make a, a really nice looking quick video just using a, a laptop with a, a screen and webcam. Um, and uh, yeah, that that's kind of what we're about. And, and I mostly work on the marketing side there. That is fantastic. I, I have to tell you, that's one of the most interesting backgrounds I think I've ever heard. From theater, live in person, you you don't get to hit record twice, to yeah. stuntman, to hardcore technical video, to marketing. I mean, that is, wow. Yeah, I should probably focus, but I, I tend to just end up getting interested in something and then following it to a slightly unreasonable degree and then and then find I'm stuck but it's, it's offered it the advantage of that despite not being very focused has meant that I've been able to have a kind of unique perspective on things I suppose wow yeah absolutely well I was just going to ask because you've been in video uh definitely for longer than I have maybe even definitely longer than some of the uh some of the audience as well what has it been like watching video the video world and technology and and like how people use video evolve from when you started to now. I mean, just even starting with the technology, you mentioned like satellites and TVs. I'm like, what's a TV? Mm. You know, no, I'm just kidding. Right, right. Um, you know, but it's like, how did, what was that like going from how, how we've, and the fact that you've stuck with it um, all this time, what was it like when you first started? Yeah, great question. Well, I think the initially it was all about the the barrier to entry with um, with video and TV was very hard, and and there was a huge amount of work needed just to be able to get something from a camera, which you'd have to acquire in the first place, and any good camera was notoriously expensive, um, yeah. to then getting it, you know, on the internet and and on some sort of consumable media device was was very hard, and obviously we didn't really have. Uh, sort of streamed video via the web until about 2004, really, to any meaningful degree. Um, and then, so yeah, it's been a long time. Uh, it, it was a huge amount of work to just kind of do stuff. And I think really the revolution that's changed most things has been the phone. So the fact that you can now consume and create everything with a device that sits in your pocket is 
utterly extraordinary and i don't think as a species we've really caught up with the ramifications of our technology yet and certainly as mm. a as a kind of video industry we haven't so the the interesting challenge has been i think how the technology has moved so much faster than human psychology so everything is now easy and available to do and yet most companies and most people just aren't um for various reasons that are mostly down to the fact that we're not comfortable with it as as people in terms of our own consumption but mostly creation and communication behaviors so as someone who was born in the 80s like i'm very comfortable with email and you know text and that was our kind of native communication my parents generation far more comfortable on the phone and the my you know niece and nephew know how to use ipads and and um can create videos themselves and do you know instagramming and stuff despite only being a few years old and that's that's an interesting shift in just the way culture has affected our our psychology i suppose and how we've approached video in that regard so it, it's been an enormous change but I, I think a lot of that change is quite predictable and often the challenge has been getting companies to um move fast enough to take advantage of the the opportunities that are sat there in front of them i don't think any company out there is going oh yeah we um, like we could never do video. Everyone now knows it's it's achievable, but they just don't want to because it's hard and it's confusing. And particularly for any companies in a slightly uh, more traditional space, it, it's something that they'd rather not do if they can avoid it. Um, mm. And and I think that's where the the interesting space lies for me is how do we change human behaviour in a, in a way to really take advantage of the opportunities. Yeah, there seems to be a bit of a lag time. I look at my girlfriend's kids who are nine, eleven, and fourteen now. And every single one of them is constantly holding a phone in their face. So if it's an iPod or a phone or, you know, an iPad, uh, at one point, I remember Kari, our 11-year-old girl, she, uh, I said, what are you doing? What are you filming? She's like, shh, I'm on YouTube. She was YouTube living <laughs> herself, just walking around the house talking, you know, getting breakfast and, you know, on the weekend and watching shows as if it was just a part of her everyday life. And... When I look at the way even I use video, and I think of myself as someone who's pretty comfortable in front of a camera at this point, I've been doing it for three or four years, I'm not even as comfortable as she is. And I, I had to teach myself how to do that. I had to kind of get over this um, hump. But I, I see those kids, when they grow up and become, you know, where, when they reach the point that I'm at in my career, oh my gosh, there's going to be absolutely no hesitation whatsoever to get in front of a video camera. It'll be second nature. They'll be doing it already. So, yeah, there just does seem to be that lag time. And I guess the big, the big thing I always think is, how do you get people over the hump? Like, how do you get people to just hit record and just, just do it? Because practice, you know, execution, uh, uh, that re repetition seems to be, you know, the more you do it, the more comfortable you get at it. Um, but, what, yeah, how do, you, how do you change that psychology? Do you have any, any insight into that? Wow, great question. I, it's it's extremely difficult, and I think you're absolutely right that the younger generation find this um, far more obvious and, and normal to them. Perhaps I'm just old and curmudgeonly, but part of me finds that quite <laughs> worrying because I think they are exposing their lives and, and looking through a kind of lens that rewards, you know, just publishing anything and not really having meaningful interactions, but rather kind of making a, a bizarre fake existence for oneself on the internet, and that becomes your barometer of um societal approval as it were rather than you know, actually being a nice person so i, I do worry that yeah. i worry about the, the kind of fundamental consequences i suppose of that world but um yes. yeah it certainly is, is very beneficial to the world of video when you get younger people and i i think it's a really tricky one to worry to work out how to get people who are not naturally 
bent that way to kind of move in the direction. I mean, ultimately, the whether or not you're going to go for creating video or getting camera depends on your psychology and if you're high in traits of openness and extroversion and things like that. And a lot of people aren't, and uh, that's okay. And they're probably just never going to be that way. But I think the, the key for me and the way I've kind of managed to get it moving at certain companies is to find one or two people in the organization who are very enthusiastic about this. Just, you know, they're naturally um interested and, and are quite comfortable being on camera they may be a little bit more extroverted than the than the other people around and getting them to be kind of like uh, leaders in making that a standard practice within the organization and, and trying to get more people to do it i think there, there's always going to be some people that just aren't going to want to do that and prefer communicating other mediums and we probably have to accept that and most people deserve a space in, in organizations and marketing uh, teams as well um but the you just need to kind of find the people who are really able to do this and then help them lower the barrier to entry for everyone else so some of that's uh technology you know making sure there's a camera set up everywhere and that the lighting's nice and that people feel like if they're going to be on camera they're going to look good rather than looking you know their worst and a lot of that is to do with just lighting and camera angles and some very simple tricks so um learning a bit about that i think is helpful and then um just trying to make it feel like a safe space and, and that's really a cultural thing in organizations um i one of the challenges i see is you go into many offices and the very idea that you could suddenly get a camera and start recording a video is anathema to their general way of being and, and i think you have to sort of somehow shift that and get people enthusiastically embracing the fact that making videos is part of everyday work um and that is an individual shift that i, I don't quite know how to solve in each organization but i would love for you know, someone who specializes in organizational change to to work with me on solving that as so i i'm just trying to hack my way through in every single company i go into yeah no that i love that you i love that you started off by saying there's a difference between hitting record and hitting record with a purpose you talked about that meaningful yeah. connection and how that how it's easy to to just move forward and not really think, but you know create sort you of know, this. I, I didn't system. say that. But that's a far better way of framing it. And I Ow. wish I had said it. Like. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I guess you know, at Agency Nation, we we've really tried to be as honest, authentic, and genuine as possible. Um, and it's easy in the business world, especially, to get caught up in in this this the the talk right the expected talk you know where you have the routine you have the pitch you know what you're going to say you just get up there you just create the video uh one of the things that i've noticed that you guys have done so well at wistia is created that really raw uh side to every single piece of communication you put out whether it's video an article um and and when you get on video it's i mean it's even more raw because you can see that person's body language and facial expressions and um, and the community that you've built because of that type of communication is astounding. I'm on your mm. Slack community. I see, you know, people are on there every single day, um, sometimes even every hour asking questions and engaging. Um, I went to Wistia Fest, you know, awesome people. So when you describe that meaningful connection, what does that look like to a small business who doesn't really understand you know maybe they've they get it in real life uh you know you know you know we, we work with a lot of insurance agents who are very engaged in their community but taking those principles and practices and 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 just that humanity and putting it online i don't know it just seems it, it's like it gets lost somewhere in transition 
how do you guys help? How, how what does that look like when you when you try to transition uh, or help small businesses transition into the online world with with video strategy, keeping that humanity? Um, I, I think it's mostly about trying to find their unique voice, and and often I think where companies make an error is is sort of taking quite an extrinsic. A normative idea of what video should be and trying to apply that to themselves. Um, and it's at that point where it becomes slightly disingenuous. So each company is going to have their own way of speaking. And, and the reason why Wistia has been effective at doing their raw communication is more that really the communication is just a reflection of the culture. And the, the culture has been very well crafted to kind of celebrate a certain style of communicating with that audience. And it's built by, you know, a few people who've really taken the lead in crafting that overall style. But it wasn't kind of built from the top down. It wasn't something that was uh, you know, dictated by fiat. It came from the ground up. So it was really Chris and Brendan, the two founders, and how they approached communication, how they approached everything. So I think it really comes to the company need to like experiment to find their voice and their style rather than trying to take something on paper and then apply it because it's at that point that something just feels a little bit forced and disingenuous. The, the other thing is trying to not worry too much about the message that you're sending to your audience in terms of like how you're crafting it, but more the message of what you're actually doing and, and the kind of subtext and people read into what's actually being done and sort of make a judgment call that way rather than just reading the text. So far too often companies will spend a very long time, you know, make sure the message really matches all their goals and products and stuff. And, and I think often that, that can be overkill. And really, if you just speak kind of honestly and try and do something that is entertaining in its own right or informative in its own right, then the audience will often do the rest of the work to connect the dots in their brain. Um, so you don't need to uh, kind of heavy hand this stuff through, even though it sort of feels like you might want to in order to kind of you know, hit those bottom line goals, which often are the, are the things that um, cause some issues. So I, I think there's, um, there's kind of two mistakes that I see smaller companies making, and they they're on two sides of a of a spectrum. One is being far too um, concerned with the rigor of the brand in the vein of sort of a slightly lot um, larger organization. So a lot of companies maybe they've got a, a CEO who was previously at a at a bigger company, and they view things through a slightly traditional lens where everything needs to be well crafted and considered and they spend a huge amount of time worrying about the, the exact messaging that's going out and in the process often kind of you know, stifle the creativity and the experimentation needed to to get that rawness and that authenticity the other problem is where companies are too data driven and and by that i mean they kind of try and put um like dollar numbers on everything that they're doing and in doing so you end up trying to force the message and the the content that you're creating to actually um, directly drive uh, conversions and revenue and, and content doesn't do that like it's it's sort of in, you end up treating video like a um, like a conversion form and video really is is all about engagement and mostly the the kind of brand impression and and that level of um, communication with your audience so you're kind of going to need to treat investing in video as a long-term play that doesn't have a uh, return on investment metric. You want to pick a different metric to to measure the success of something, which is far more about you know, growth of brand and, and engagement. Um, so either companies are too kind of brand driven or they're too data driven. And actually, the, the the effective way to do it is to be somewhere in the middle, where you are focused on building up um, content that really speaks to your audience in in the language that they care about, um, and 
tells the story of who you are as a business in an authentic manner and, and does so with a view to seeing return in the long term, not in the short term. Mm. Yeah, I do think, and and this is something even we struggle with um, on the agency nation side. We've got a, a lead generation product uh, where we send insurance agents referrals, online referrals. And a lot of times what we do is we want to measure the success of every piece of content, no matter if it's a video, article, whatever, by the amount of money it brings in. And if a piece of content doesn't bring in more leads or more sales, it's it's unsuccessful. And what I've realized, you know, with video especially is it's laying the foundation so that when you do ask, people know who you are. They start to trust you. They, they are, you've already built that relationship in a way. Um, so yeah, I completely agree. It, it's, but it's hard to sort of re, you know, shift that thinking and, and stop saying, oh my gosh, this video hasn't brought in leads. Therefore it's unsuccessful. Um, yeah, the, the other, the, um, the way I've sort of somehow successfully managed to convince some companies out of this is by kind of flipping on its head and saying, okay, well, let's take all of these different important customers that you've got and you tell me exactly how they became customers and how they engaged and and if and you know 99 times out of 100 there'll only be a sort of a vague knowledge of a few interactions they have with the brand and and it's like well if you can't look at it that way then why on earth do you think you can then reverse engineer it in the in the front end and say well we need to do exactly this kind of content in order to you know achieve leads and, and look at stuff purely on that kind of conversion level metric you, you just can't do that mm-hmm. um and it's this sort of obsession with last touch conversion where, where um last touch attribution sorry where i think companies kind of get into to problems with really styming themselves creatively and not doing good work because they're so obsessed with with immediate return on investment which is not forthcoming for any good marketing i think um and increasingly so because google and facebook are in control of you know, half the middle of the funnel and stuff so you'll, you'll get a new lead in and you'll really not be able to track exactly how they discovered you, where they considered becoming your, um, you know, customer and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's a case of not prioritizing measurable above strategic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sorry, I I, I'm, I can get on a, a high horse about this one because I'm kind of I believe that it's the the essential problem that's stymieing a whole bunch of companies from doing really good work. Well, and here's here's the other piece of it too. Maybe we've talked about ROI, we've talked about quantity, but there's quality as well, right? So I think there's a there's a, an expectation that if you create a video, it has to be the best video you have ever made. You have to have your makeup perfect and your hair perfect and the background's got to be perfect and the lighting's got to be perfect. And so there's this expectation that because you've put so much time and resources into the quality of that video, there's got to be this amazing return so but you know video in 2018 it's like you could pop your phone up i'm on instagram every single day i probably you know my hair's probably like lopsided or flying in the wind and the audio's you know crackling and um you know you want to obviously i think as as technology improves that video will get better and better and better but the point being not every not every piece of content not every video has to be produced by steven spielberg right it's it's um, absolutely in fact, I've got a really good, nice um, data point for you on that front. We, we recently did this campaign at Wistia called 
110100, which was um, we worked with an agency called Sandwich Video in Los Angeles to make the same video for $1,000, $10,000, and $100,000, sort of different budget levels. So the $1,000 one was shot with an iPhone, 10000 with like a kind of mid-range camera, and the $100,000 was shot with a full Hollywood crew and, and production and everything, like Steven Spielberg quality. Um, and the $1,000 video shot with an iPhone outperformed the $100,000 video in terms of its performance with ad spend. So how many you know, conversions it led to and how how much money it ended up bringing in for the company. So uh, it's not the case that you need great production, actually often more raw production, even though it looks on paper like it's not as good, can actually deliver better return. Yeah, we. <laughs> so it's funny you mentioned that. We have been following that campaign like crazy, uh, our team. And we actually took a vote internally on the one, the 1,000 video, the 10,000 video, and the 100,000 video. One person voted for the 10,000 video. Three people voted for the 1,000 video, uh, the $1,000 video. It was, and here's the thing. It was honestly because I felt like when it was more produced, it felt like there was more of a barrier between myself and and the actor, or uh, you know, the, right. I could tell that was a guy who's who's trying to pitch his business, right, his product. When that one thousand mm. dollar video uh, came on, I just felt closer to him. I felt like I was getting to know his little quirks, you know, it, it, all his little quirks and and the way he sort of moved, and all, you know, everything got erased with the with the mm. higher production value. Um, but with that $1,000 video, it was like, oh, I feel like I could go have a beer with him after this. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think there's some truth to the size of the company and the product that needs to be reflected in the budget. So uh, the other side of that is probably if you're, um, you know, Bank of America or something, you don't want to be doing a $1,000 video on an iPhone <laughs> because people need to feel like you've got lots of money. In fact, your main proposition as a company is having lots of money and knowing what to do with money. So maybe don't make it look like you haven't. But if you're <laughs> yeah. if you're a small startup in the fintech space or whatever, then it's a it's a different story. And actually you can get away with being quite disruptive. There, there was a very good company there is a very good company in um uh UK and Europe called Transferwise, who are sort of a disruptive fintech startup and they've gone very kind of uh gritty and viral and and lo-fi with their whole marketing campaign and i think it's worked very well for them because it's it's become their branded entity yeah well and we've got you know our audience is mainly insurance independent insurance agents who are mm. small business owners so you know between 10 and and 50 employees so they're they know their clients right so that that um yeah the the video that's easier more accessible less produced is actually probably a better piece of content for them to create like you said absolutely i think that's very much the case and there's a weird there's an interesting paradox there which i've seen in the legal space which i've done quite a bit of work with as well um where and i imagine this is true also for insurers where people you feel like people want to you to have professionalism because clearly they need to trust you because you're you know dealing with very important assets and lots of money and you know there is that element of really feeling like trust needs to be there so there's a temptation to want to go very kind of professional and you know look very kind of traditional in your approach but actually trust often doesn't come from the way the the sort of you know trust that we see in the kind of madman era of the 60s of suits and high quality suits and whiskey and therefore you're trustworthy actually it's far more these days about being very open and honest and human and that comes from being true about the size of your company if you're a 50 person company then you know, you kind of should be looking a bit scrappier and a bit more like you're um, enthusiastic and you're having fun and you really enjoy your work. But, you know, you're not um, you're not trying to fake it, and pretend that you're 
uh, Goldman Sachs or whatever it might be. Yeah. Yeah, that makes total sense. I had never thought about that from the from the trust, bringing in that uh, trust factor. So are you? Gonna... It's because everybody. Do you remember when websites first came out? Everybody had these pictures of the same people on their website because someone was like, "You need high quality images of you know people so you can sell the trust of your um, of your company." So then everybody went out and got the same image from Shutterstock or whatever it was. <laughs> And there's these people who, you know, were apparently working for every company under the sun and just looked really fake and, and overly glossy and that kind of thing. And, and it's really easy to get into that same problem with video and think, oh, we need actors because we can't perform. We need people. And it's like, no, actually, just being honest about who you are is, is the thing that builds trust rather than glossiness. So are you going to share the 1,000, 10,000, 100,000 video results at Elevate? Yeah, I certainly can do. Yeah, we, we just finished... Um, tossing up the numbers and, and we're going to release a report um in a, in a few weeks on that so uh yeah so i will certainly be i will give you some more details on how that all how that all panned out next year yeah if uh if anyone listening has not seen that by the way go to wistia's facebook page check it out watch the videos yourself see what we're talking about it's amazing you guys did a fantastic job with that who came up with that idea by the way um <laughs> It, it wasn't maybe as glamorous as one thinks. We we had Adam, <laughs> who's the uh, the CEO of Sandwich. Um, we had him over for uh, Wistia Fest in 2017, and we were in a brewery and um, a few beers in. Uh, Dan, the creative director, kind of thought, wouldn't it be fun to do that? And then Chris Savage, the CEO, who was kind of on cloud nine at this point um because you know his, his conversation has gone very well he ran over to adam and kind of pitched it um and adam sort of then yeah that'll be good and then you know we'd sort of drunkenly agreed to to do this thing so felt we ought to continue with it and um it was genuinely that and then, and then it became a case of going well okay well let's like, this is actually a good idea it clearly was um hence the enthusiasm on the night uh and then it was a case of, okay well how can we kind of you know tweak this and and really make it a full integrated campaign rather than just a sort of a kind of crazy idea out, out of the side. So, so we spent, you know, about six, six to seven months making this thing. So it was a big project for about four or five people. Wow. That's amazing. Well, thank God for beer because, uh, <laughs> I absolutely, I've loved watching the, uh, the progress. It's awesome stuff. So oh, great. I'm glad you like it. Yeah. Plenty more to come on that. We've got a few other, few other kind of final points of that campaign. So awesome. Well, is there anything else before we wrap up that I should have asked that I didn't ask? Oh, gosh. Um, I'm not sure. I think... Uh, if, uh, if No, I don't think so. I think we covered all sorts. Perfect, because if not, I will tell everybody listening to this, uh, to this podcast, you guys do not want to miss this keynote. Uh, Phil will be at Elevate March 24th to 26th in New Orleans, Louisiana. Have you been to New Orleans before? Do you know, I've, I've never been to New Orleans and I awesome. would love to go because I wrote a play about the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina in, um, about 10 years ago. And that was a huge part of my uh, my work for a couple of years and I'm a saxophonist. So I feel like I've got to, got to go pay homage to the, the kind of recent <laughs> history there that I know a lot about and also the, the slightly older history, which uh, I need to know more about and, and go and watch some jazz. And there are beignets which are the best and of course the food. <laughs> <laughs> and the beignets so fantastic well thank you so much for coming on today i appreciate it more than you know um i feel like we've just tapped the surface with uh with video strategy and video marketing so i'm excited to see and hear more about uh what you've got in a couple months 
Lovely. Thank you so much, Sid. Um, and I look forward to seeing you all at Elevate. <laughs>